Masters in Comics. In these podcasts, we'll be chatting to comics creators and getting a unique insight into the comics industry. Today, we're chatting to Ian Kennedy. Welcome, Ian Kennedy, to the Masters in Comics podcast. I wonder if we could begin by talking about your uh, early career and how you got into art. Well, as far as I can remember, uh, way, way back when I was quite young, I was told uh, by my parents that all they had to do uh, to keep me quiet was to give me a paper and pencil. So, of course, uh, uh, that was the way it started. Uh, and at, at, in the evening, I had the, the kitchen table all to myself to, to draw night after night, evening after evening. Uh, enjoying myself and uh, eventually uh, this showed itself at school mm-hmm. recognized by the teachers and I took an art course at Morgan Academy uh, where I eventually uh, got my Scottish hires in art uh, very good tuition by the teachers there I was very lucky a very good team of uh, art teachers very encouraging uh, and um, at that time, I had uh, uh, come in contact with one of the artists in D.C. Thompson's art department, a chap called David Ogilvie, uh, who was actually a, it was a case of a friend of a friend. Uh, and as far as I can remember, my mother went to school uh, with him as well. So it was a case of a... Uh, there was a connection and uh, Dave uh, used to he lived in the west end of the city Uh, his mother lived just the next street to us and um, he used to when visiting his mum I would go down and have a word with him chat away and he would bring me um, some uh, story headings from DC Thompson's used story headings Mm -hmm. Uh, for me to copy, uh, which I did. And of course, the next time I would take them back and he would give me a, a crit, give him his verdict on them. And obviously he was uh, impressed. And um, eventually, uh, when I left school, at the age of 17, 17 and a half, something like that, in 1949, uh, it was a case of... Uh, I was straight into D.C. Thompson's art department uh, and that was it. I served uh, to start my apprenticeship in the art department there. Uh, And it was, of course, the best possible start. Without it, there's no doubt in my mind that I certainly would not have been the success and had the success uh, which I've had during my lifetime in art. Uh, The the staff in the art department there were really quite wonderful people, wonderfully talented people. Uh, How can I put it? As I say, I was the apprentice. I started off being the tea boy. Uh, But anyway, uh, it was a case of, for the first six months or more, I would go to a big, large, rather large uh, chest of drawers at the end of the the, the studio, which contained all the uh, 
uh, headings and illustrations which had uh, been used and of course were now stored. Uh, so I would sit and copy these and uh, one particular artist in the studio chap called George Ramsbottom who came from Lowry country, Salford. Mm. Uh, I cottoned on to him because I admired his work so much. Uh, so I started copying his stuff very much. Uh, and uh, obviously he noticed this. So when he was passing back and forth, he would always have a quick look. And if I was working along the right lines, um, he would he would use the, the term, which was quite some time before the, uh, the existence of the publication, with the term Beezer. That's a Beezer, which meant I was working along the right lines. But if I wasn't working along the, the right lines, well, he didn't mince any words. And of course, that was where I learned and to a degree developed uh, a fairly thick skin. In other words, you've got to learn to take criticism. Um, so, as I say, it was the best possible apprenticeship and, and uh, foundation. And as I say, any time that I, I am praised or get an award of any kind, uh, I always make a point of mentioning my experience with these people because they really did make it right for me to start off on my own eventually, five years later. Uh, it was a case of having uh, married Gladys uh, and uh, my son, our son, came along ten months later uh, and uh, it was a case of, uh, well, we needed a wee bit more in the way of an income. Uh, at that time, I think my my income was uh, £7.10 shillings in old money, uh, which was probably not too bad. But um, there was, uh, uh, well, I had a good friend, Doug Phillips, who unfortunately was no longer with us. But Doug and I sat side by side in the studio. And of course, we talked quite a lot about going freelance and going down to London to the big scene. And uh, there was a chap who was, who had been uh, an artist on Thompson's uh, books, a chap called Bill McHale, who then had branched out and was running his own agency with, with London and elsewhere. And uh, it was a case of uh, Doug eventually twisted my arm uh, and I went down to see Bill and he took some of my stuff down to London and the verdict was at that time that I could earn a thousand a year, 20 pounds a week. Boy, oh boy, that was something else. Um, I never did earn 20 pounds a week. I would have had to probably have been working 24 hours a day to make that, but I did manage to double my salary. Uh, so I started out working for Amalgamated Press down in Farringdon Street in London, EC4, if I remember rightly. And uh, I uh, 
like all young folks, I thought, oh, this is the bee's knees. I used to do quite a bit of golfing. So, of course, I thought, oh, I'm working at home now. I can sort of please myself. Work sometimes and then off out the golf course, especially on a nice sunny afternoon. So, which I did. Uh, but then it had an effect on my production. And uh, I got word from a one of the directors of Amalgamated Press. I can't remember his name offhand now, but he looked very same sort of very tall, good-looking man like Lord Louis Mountbatten. Uh, and the word came back, what is Kennedy playing at? He must fulfil his commitments. So, of course, that drew me up very short. And that, again, was a very... Um, valuable salutary lesson that the day job comes first and if you've got some time afterwards then you can go golfing and it's a it is a, a, a tenet that I have held to and I always pass on at any time to any young artist who's embarking on their career that you must get the job done first Sure. Um, do you remember some of the work that you, you, you produced at the time? Any characters that, that stick out in your mind? Um, any publications that you, you worked on in those early years? Uh, the early years, uh, well, in Thompson's, I can't remember offhand. We did, uh, eventually, it was a, a case of story headings. This was really before the time of the, of the picture story. It really was just coming up over the horizon at that time. Uh, so story headings are various subjects, anything and everything, including at that time horses, which have always been a bit of my bet noir. Mm. However, that's beside the point. Um, when I did go uh, freelance, uh, it was to work on Knockout with an editor called Arthur Boucher, one of the famous uh, old editors of I of Amalgamated Press, as it was then. And uh, I worked on Knockout, and it was a case of um, Hopalong Cassidy and Davy Crockett, and of course, horses. <laughs> Just couldn't get away from them. But these, were, these, are, these are two that uh, uh, come to mind. I also did, they, they, they did run, if I remember rightly, a detective story, uh, strip uh, the character was Sexton Blake uh, these are the three that spring to mind at the moment can't remember off the top of my head any anything else but uh, as far as that was concerned that really did keep me busy we were, we were really embarking on what I term the golden times in British comics in that there was so much work around that if you were out of work, then it was your own fault. So there was some sort of golden golden days of you go going from one job to the other, I suppose. Yes, yep. yes. And uh, obviously, uh, uh, I, I, would, I would go down from time to time to London to visit. Uh, in fact, uh, I usually combined them with my visits to the Farnborough Air Show because... Uh, uh, even as now, I'm, I'm totally obsessed with aeroplanes and aircraft. 
all that sort of thing. Um, because originally I wasn't going to be an artist. I wanted to be one of the boys in blue in the RAF and I wanted to fly. But ear trouble kept me out. However, I, uh, it didn't, uh, it didn't um, uh, how can I put it, kill my interest in aviation. So I would go down to see the Farnborough Air Show and pop in to see them in London from time to time and uh, meet up with various editors, etc. And of course I became known and my work was obviously um, uh, attractive to them. Uh, so before I knew it, uh, other artists, uh, sorry, other editors were getting in touch and um, it was a case of being very careful because um, quite early on I realised that uh, if you did uh, take on too much then the one thing that would suffer would be the quality of your work. I wasn't ever the fastest worker. Uh, I just worked away at my pace. I did an, often, uh, an office hour day, get up in the morning breakfast and I would be through to the studio about nine o'clock, then back out for lunch and then back again until about five, half past five. And uh, generally speaking, I would get done in that time what I wanted to do. If I didn't, then I'm afraid it was a case of back to it after after dinner and get on with it until you finished what you wanted to do. So at that time you were pretty much drawing every type of story, different genres. And was there a preference that you had uh, at that time of what you were drawing or did you just take whatever came along? I think it was more or less a, the business of, of uh, just taking what came along. It was really a bit before the the science fiction era. Mm -hmm. uh, so it was a case of, uh, could be motor racing. Uh, of course, cowboys came into it, uh, very much so. In fact, um, uh, I, uh, I have a good record of what I worked on um, in my accounts books for HMRC. In that, um, uh, I had I noticed down, I noted down every payment and what the payment was for, uh, so it uh, it's almost a a diary a record of my output since I went freelance in nineteen fifty four. Wow, so so really you're talking about the the, the, the transition from the story headings to um, sequential comic yes. pages. So when did that come about roughly and, and uh, did you did, did you find that quite an easy transition? Um, yes, I think it was fairly seamless uh, because one, one, uh, the, the experience of the five years in the art studio in Thompson's uh, uh, definitely, uh, how can I put it, uh, inculcated in me uh, the realisation that um, it was a job. It had to be done and you had to be very methodical about it. It was none of this arty crafty business. Uh, you did, you did um, uh, uh, to go back a wee bit, uh, 
you did learn to be very practical and actually it was something said to me by a, a friend a school teacher friend uh, when I was quite uh, quite uh, young in in my teenagers uh, I was doing she was doing some presentations for her pupils and she asked me if I would if I would do a wee bit of painting and cutting etc etc for the for the presentations and uh, obviously she was watching what I was doing and uh, all of a sudden she came out with I think you're going to be an artist Ian I see you can cover up your mistakes so that's uh, if that uh, if, if anything that illustrates just how practical one had to be in commercial illustration if you got it wrong then you got the white paint and wiped it out and worked over the top in fact one of the artists in the in the studio chap called toby baines he was well known uh, for whitening out and when he whitened out he was working almost in bar relief on top of the white paint uh, how he managed it i don't know but anyway that that, that was just a case of sheer practicality so how how was your working relationship with the um, writers? Um, did you actually have much contact with them or did you just get sent a script and you worked uh, on it? No, we, we um, uh, didn't meet the writers at all. No, there was no contact whatsoever. In fact, my very first picture stories, which were, if I remember rightly, for the adventure, were... Uh, the scripts were in the shape of, um, we used to call it bumpf. They were uh, pads and pads of uh, about, uh, I don't know, about uh, five per seven sheets of uh, almost like toilet paper that were given to the editors and editorial to work out their ideas on and make notes on, etc, etc. And uh, one of the, the, the first scripts I, I would get to work for the, the it was the cover of the adventure if I remember rightly were written by the chief sub at that time a chap called Ralph Duncan and I'm sure I have somewhere away in the back of the depths of the studio one of these scripts written out in his in his handwriting and those were the that was basically the, the first sort of script that I worked for, with mm -hmm. um, and of course, in that case, I did know the writer because I would meet him uh, when I went down to the to the editorial room. Uh, but as for uh, uh, freelance writers, no, there was never any contact. So, um, so how did you go about breaking down that script? What's your kind of rough process? You know, would you go in with 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 uh, detailed sketches? Would it be quite loose? What's mm -hmm. the kind of average mm -hmm. kind of workflow? Yes, well, gen generally speaking, um, if it were for Thompson's, uh, of course, when I went freelance, there was a wee, there was a wee spell where I didn't do any work for Thompson's, but eventually I, I graduated back in and was working for them as well as Amalgamated Press. Um, when I got a script, it's it's very difficult, to Phil. Um, describing my thought processes there, it would be a case of reading through the script 
and um, obviously it would spark off uh, certain images in my mind. Um, I suppose I was kind of blessed in being able to translate the the, uh, the descriptions on the paper there uh, into into images which I could then put on on paper. Okay. With Thompsons it generally meant uh, because they were close at hand and it was the way they worked anyway we did pencil sketches which they then would edit and uh, if there were any changes needed they were done. But with Amalgamated Press uh, we were working 500 miles away so they, uh, they would trust the artist uh, to go through right through to the finished job. Um, again, I suppose I was lucky in that um, uh, I subconsciously clicked onto their wavelengths and um, I don't, I can't remember of ever having any great trouble. If I, I assume that um, both, both companies had an art department so if there were little changes needing done, which I know was the, the, that was the fact in Thompson's, that any outside artwork that came in uh, could well end up in the studio for a wee bit of an alteration here and there, a wee tweak here and there. So I assume the same sort of thing would happen to my artwork when it bent, went down to London. There may well be little details that they would, they would alter. I was never really aware of that, uh, but uh, it was a very smooth process. Yeah, so you were doing a lot of interior work and then you started to become quite well known for doing front covers. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, you know, looking at the composition of your covers, and would you say that was your preference, the cover work? Was that something you really enjoyed? Oh, yes, very much so. I, <clears throat> I definitely enjoyed. I did, um, when I did, can't remember offhand when I started doing cover work. I suppose uh, it was the some of the annual uh, Thompson annuals and probably um, amalgamated press annuals as well. Uh, the names kind of escaped me. There were so many of them, um, but uh, the cover work uh, was always a, a bit of a challenge. I think because uh, it was a fresh job every time, uh, instead of. Uh, a, a series of picture stories which uh, to be quite honest I never I, I was never bored with them I never I never got to the stage where oh gosh we've got to get on with that somehow or other I I, I had this enthusiasm that um, I suppose an inborn enthusiasm to do to <laughs> it's very difficult to describe uh, but um uh, where were we? I'm kind of covers, uh, uh, the covers. The covers, yeah, yes. Yeah. I yes, I did. I did. Uh, I gravitated towards. Uh, I was asked to do some Ares and battle and war libraries for for uh, amalgamated press. By that time, they were possibly IPC. But anyway, I was asked to to do one or two of them, both in. Uh, the inside artwork, and now and again the cover as well. 
At that time, uh, Commando had been going, the Thompsons of course, Commando had been going for a, a few years. I can't remember offhand when the first edition was published, but I think it was early 60s. And um, around about 1970, I think was the turn of 1970, the editor, Chick Checkley, uh, approached me because he'd obviously seen one or two covers I'd done uh, for Ares, Battle, etc. Uh, would I like to do a cover for him? Which I did. And that was the start of quite a, a saga <laughs> in that, as far as we know now, there are well over 1,500 done since 1970. Wow. Yeah, that's huge. I mean, and then you also did the Star Blazer covers, you did the, um, yes. the Football um, Digest covers as well, a that's wide right. variety of these. Yes. The pure cover were fully painted as well. Yes, yes, it was a. It, it, it just seemed to be a, a natural progress into. I was still doing inside artwork and strip work, etc. But um, it seemed that I got to be known as a as a cover artist, and uh, it was it was really quite honestly mainly for DC Thompson's. I didn't do very much for IPC or Fleetway. Uh, in fact, it went quite quiet in the 70s as far as London was concerned. I was still doing some work for them, but my, my main work was for, for DC Thompson's uh, Commando. Uh, I did one or two full, full uh, uh, commandos, including the inside artwork. Uh, but I was kept pretty busy because I was doing probably three covers a month for them at, at one stage. And uh, I suppose um, that, that technique that you developed, uh, that's quite interesting. So you started to use acrylics. Yes, yes. That, that again was a, a huge stroke of luck in that I don't know how I came across them, uh, but... Um, Acrylics, some acrylics, tubes of acrylic came into my possession around about the time that I I had started doing some colour work for Thompson's for um, Judy and Bunty, the girls' papers, but I'd coloured them with coloured inks. Uh, but somehow or other, acrylics found them their way to my desk and uh, I started trying to started to use them, uh, experimenting a bit, and um, I used them in, in, a, in a, the fashion that one would use oils, rather thickly, uh, and they were, they could be quite difficult using that technique, in that, um, for a start, they don't dry quite the same shade as they are in your palette. Uh, so it was a case of at times uh, doing a, a quick colour sample and hitting it with the hair dryer to dry it and just to see how how uh, how it turned out in order to match colours, etc. But um, eventually 
I think it was because it was so time consuming, that particular technique. Uh, I gradually thinned them down using just water. Never have used the medium using water and in most cases at that point to a consistency of possibly double cream and using them that way. And um, I, at that time, I'd been engaged by RAF Lookers to do their annual Airshow magazine cover. And uh, they were all done using that technique. Uh, very satisfying, extremely satisfying. Apart from anything else, I was able to go to the aerodrome and get mixed up with all these wonderful machines, even though I couldn't fly them. However, uh, that, that, that was the technique I used at that time. Uh, but then, somewhere around about 1980, I had, I had a car accident and I was out of commission for a, a week or two. And uh, somewhere, I think it was about 1982, uh, Barry Manilow, well, not Barry Manilow, Barry Tomlinson. <laughs> <laughs> Apo apologies, <laughs> apologies, Barry, apologies. <laughs> um, uh, got in touch with me and uh, he asked whether I would like to take on Dan Dare because as far as I could make out, things weren't really working out with the existing artist. I don't know the ins and outs about it, but uh, things weren't going smoothly. And I suppose because they knew me of old, they thought that I might be able to tackle Dan Dare, uh, the new Dan Dare, that is, in the new Eagle. So, uh, as I say, I was uh, looking for work after having recovered from the accident. Uh, so I took it on and, well, off we went into space. <laughs> and um, at that time, I realised very quickly, we're going back to this technique using the acrylics, that um, this uh, double cream business was still far too thick and time consuming. Uh, so I started using them like watercolours, mm -hmm. watering them right down. And um, from there on, well, let's put it this way, I am still experimenting with them. Mm -hmm. They're a wonderful, they're wonderful paints. Uh, when, I, when I meet up with the students at uh, Duncan and Jordanson, uh, I'm always singing their praises and telling them to try them and enjoy, enjoy using them. Yeah. Because um, uh, whereas with watercolours, if you don't quite hit the shade you want and you try to paint over it, you lose the transparency, they go rather mucky and muddy. Whereas if you do that with uh, acrylics, in fact, it's a technique I've evolved whereby I actually quite often will start off with a very faint wash and then wash over again and perhaps again and again until I get exactly the shade I want. But you never, with the acrylics, lose the transparency. Mm -hmm. All that happens is they become more vibrant, which of course is absolutely marvellous for reproduction. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, we're actually surrounded by some um, pieces of work that you created for mm -hmm. RAF liquors, which were produced with acrylics, and they were actually commissioned. Is that correct? Yes, they yeah. were commissioned by the the community relations officer at Lukers. It was usually a, an officer who was possibly uh, seeing out his last year before being before retiring from the service. Uh, so I met up with quite a few of the officers over the years because I did it for thirteen years in all. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and they were fantastic covers, very iconic, and um, I think. I think what, what always impressed me about the covers was the, the composition of them because obviously you've got the same subject matter coming up over and over mm -hmm. again but we're always able to do something quite dynamic with that and you seem to be quite uh, at ease with the, the tech so maybe we talk a little bit about the way that you would render the planes you render uh, the planes well obviously uh, being so interested in, in aviation etc uh, how can I put it? When I look at an aeroplane, I suppose I look at an aeroplane the way a portrait painter looks at his subject, in that there are details that immediately spring, uh, are caught, and uh, the eye catches certain details, and then there are more subtle uh, bits and pieces, which uh, must be added in order to get this this feeling of this this uh, this machine because as far as I'm concerned uh, anything mechanical it may well be mechanical but it always always has character and each aircraft or for that matter each each car each uh, uh, model of a, a motor car it has certain character certain things that the designer has put into them in a car, it's obviously to attract a customer. With an aeroplane, it's generally um, the features of the aircraft are such that it's it's got a job to do. Uh, it's got to be either a bomber or a fighter or a transport. So obviously, uh, uh, these uh, characteristics will come out in the design of the aeroplane. And um, uh, I suppose I just got into the habit of of picking up these these differences. And as far as reference goes, I mean, some people might be surprised to find out that you don't use physical reference or models and things like that. You actually just have paper standard references. You know, I know that you've got mm -hmm. a, a, a sort of um, metal cabinet in your, mm -hmm. in your studio mm -hmm. with lots of old books, but you seem to be able to have this knack of just looking at a, a single image and being able to then work it out in three dimensions. Yes, yes, it's a, uh, uh, I suppose again, it's just something that, um, uh, it's, it's an instinctive thing, really. Uh, all I need, generally speaking, if I can be supplied with a, a really good photograph of the aeroplane, uh, showing off most, most of its, the shape, the details, and what uh, a three view drawing which we used to get a lot in the old days, aircraft recognition books, which I have in my uh, studio cupboards, uh, which I've built up over the years. Uh, but any any of these um, uh, beautiful publications by a chap in particular, a William Green, and there was a Ger Gerald Pollinger, I think his name was, uh, they, they published quite a few books back in the 50s, 60s and 70s. 
about aircraft and uh, most of them would have uh, quite detailed three view drawings mm -hmm. which were in, were invaluable yeah but you also managed to to uh, deal with the human figure uh, as well uh, in a lot mm -hmm. of these co covers that you did especially for commando um so it seems to me that you could basically draw anything if you had to uh, some things come more easily than others. <laughs> uh, yes, aeroplanes come very easily. Uh, anything mechanical, generally speaking, comes very easy. Figure work, yes, that that is, uh, how can I put it? That is demanding. And I don't think an illustrator can call himself, him or herself an illustrator until they can be reasonably proficient in figure drawing. Uh, once again, I'm going back to 49 to 54 in DC Thompson's art department, where there was an awful lot of figure drawing went on because there were sports, uh, comics, sports, and all that sort of thing. So figure drawing was uh, essential. And uh, that was a, the only time, uh, apart from my schooling at the secondary school, that I went uh, for a, a bit of uh, a study in the old Bell Street College of Art. Uh, and I did six months evening classes, uh, figure drawing, drawing from the figure. And... Uh, that again, of course, was, was invaluable. Uh, and as I say, generally speaking, I'm, I'm reasonably happy with the figures I draw. The one thing that, uh, and Gladys will bear this out, I am obsessed with getting hands looking like hands. They are very difficult. It's so easy to make them look like a bunch of sausages. Um, actually, <laughs> this brings to mind uh, something way, way back again. Uh, I used to go to the reference library a lot in, in town. Uh, and in the reference library, of course, you couldn't take the books out. You just had to go over to a corner and sit and read them and examine them. And I came across this publication called 100 Hands. And it was just a, a slim book with, uh, I think it would be about A4 size, with 100 sketches of hands. Beautifully drawn. Uh, I think mainly pencil or it might have been pen and ink or charcoal, but anyway, black and white. So I thought, I must try and get this book, but I'm afraid it was out of publication. Couldn't get it. So I thought, right then, in the reference library, there was a photocopier. So what I would do, I would go into the reference library with a pocket full of, at that time, it was two shilling pieces, 10 pence as we, as we see them now. Uh, and I fed this photocopier with these coins and copied this book from start to finish 
and I still have the photocopies <laughs> in my studio and I still refer to it. Mm. It's notoriously mm. hard yeah. to draw and uh, definitely and hooves as well that's one of your other mm. pet mm. hates of horses if, on the record for, for, <laughs> for hating those <laughs> to draw I think most yeah, artists do yeah. actually. So yeah I mean that sort of I mean we're sort of coming up I suppose we go back to this the sort of 70s 80s and you're starting to do a bit more varied work around about that time and uh, I, I remember seeing your work pop up in um, Blake 7 uh, magazine where you drew the strip mm-hmm. in there uh, which I thought was quite interesting so how did you deal with the likenesses of the characters? Well that yes that was a, that was a, a very interesting and unfortunately very short experience uh, Blake 7 came on stream I think it had I think it had actually been on television for a, a, some time before uh, I can't remember who the publisher was now offhand but they decided to publish the Blake 7 comic or magazine whatever uh, and I was asked if I would illustrate the picture story of Blake 7 uh, which I jumped at and one of the experiences was to go down to London, to the studios, and see them uh, filming one of the episodes, meeting the cast. And of course, I had my camera with me, taking plenty of mug shots of the of the cast, uh, to to make sure that I could get as close as possible. Again, we're 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 hitting one of my weak spots in that uh, I've never been the best portrait. Uh, uh, artist going, uh, it's a bit difficult. Uh, I, I I have a, a an acquaintance, a good friend, although I don't see, I haven't seen Jimmy for a long time. Jimmy Thompson, who in my estimation is just about the greatest caricaturist I've ever seen in my life. That includes all the ones that one has seen in newspapers over the years, London newspapers, etc. Jimmy's Jimmy's work. Uh, if he had gone south, he could have scooped the pool without any shadow of a doubt, but Jimmy hasn't done that. But there were times when I was so desperate, never did do it, but there were times when I was so desperate trying to catch the f- a character, uh, I felt like phoning Jimmy and saying, Jimmy, can you do me a caricature of this character? Because he would then, of course, pick up all the the really important points in that face, which I could then work from. Uh, never did do it; just persevered. I think, I think we managed to to portray the the Blake Seven cast reasonably well. Unfortunately, uh, my enjoyment uh, with Blake Seven came to an end when BBC decided to pull the plug on the television program. So of course there was no. Uh, point in carrying on with the publication Blake 7. Uh, Unfortunate because it was a a nice departure and a very nice experience in being able to go down and spend time with the cast. Yeah, so that kind of leads directly into your next big job which was, as you mentioned earlier, uh, Dan Dare for the New Eagle. So how did that initially come about and how did you find uh, initially working with Pat Mills and John Wagner? Well, um, really, I suppose it uh, the approach from Barry 
and Dave came right out of the blue because I wasn't aware that there were any problems uh, regarding the, the new Eagle and the new Don Deere. But uh, I, uh, from what I've, the sort of information I've gleaned is that um, the, the, the existing artist, he, he wasn't, uh, I think he lived abroad and there were, there were uh, problems getting the artwork back to the studio, back to the office, etc, etc. Uh, but I don't think the the new Dan that he was uh, portraying was quite what they envisaged. And, and I do remember thinking myself that the costume that he had him wearing was was almost medieval in its in its aspect. Uh, not at all science fiction. Uh, anyway, uh, Barry came right out of the blue asking me whether or not I would like to, to take on uh, the new Don. And uh, of course, uh, being at a wee bit of a loose end because of the finish, uh, finishing of Blake 7, I was only too happy to take it on. Uh, and uh, well, that's, that's it, everything took off from there. So you were initially uh, commissioned to do two pages, a centre spread every week, uh, and then that eventually developed further. So how did you find tackling such uh, a high density of work every week? Well, certainly, um, as I may well already mentioned, uh, I'm not the fastest worker in the world, uh, preferring to uh, make sure that I'm happy with the work before it leaves my drawing board, which generally means that you take a wee bit more time uh, than, than average. Uh, so um, taking on a, a centre spread, double spread, full colour, uh, it wasn't too much of a, uh, how can I say, not a chore, uh, too much, uh, how can I put it, the amount of work wasn't too much, let's put it that way. Uh, I knew I could cope with that uh, because by that time I'd also developed uh, the technique with the uh, acrylic colours of using them very much like watercolours and um, the technique involved doing a black and white sketch of the whole spread and then just colouring it in just very like a child's colouring book filling in the outlines in colour and of course the uh, as I've said before, the acrylic paints, acrylic colours, are uh, fused in that manner, are without a doubt. They can't be touched. They're just perfect for the job. So uh, again, as I say, uh, the full colour centre spread really uh, didn't cause me any problem. And uh, I take it you were able to take your uh, the technical skills, the aviation sort of techniques and feed that into the future because what always impressed me about the, the strip was the high-tech futuristic spacecraft and the kit and the costumes. Mm -hmm. Yes, um, I suppose really that the spacecraft that uh, the reader would see uh, in my work, the spacecraft were very much based on the... Uh, modern jet aircraft of the time 
and uh, it was just a case of uh, uh, taking these designs and pushing them that just that bit further. Uh, in fact, I had at the time I just managed to get a hold of the Reader's Digest manual, uh, which uh, it was a do-it-yourself repair manual. And in that manual, it had all sorts of diagram, exploded diagrams of lawnmowers, you name it, any kind of domestic machinery. And of course, I just sat and looked at these and I would say, well, that component, that could be used as, a, as, a, as part of a spaceship. And then we'll maybe put wings on it or we'll put a rocket engine on it. Uh, so the... the I started off with a, 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 a how can I put it, a, a, a little image from that repair manual of something that was very mundane, as I say, perhaps part of a lawnmower, and then I just added bits and pieces to it. Uh, always keeping in mind that the finished uh, spaceship or machine, whatever, had to look as though it could work. Mm -hmm. There was no point in doing something that couldn't, uh, that the reader could look at and say, there's no way that would work. Okay. Um, so before we actually got into Dan Dare and, and uh, Blake Seven as well, um, you did quite a bit of work for 2000 AD and Star-Lord actually as well. Yes. So for example, you worked on Robusters, Mac One, Invasion, and eventually, Judge Dredd, uh, you did a very famous wraparound cover uh, mm -hmm. for, for 2000 AD. So how did you find the difference, the, the difference in tone of 2000 AD in Star Wars compared to Ego and the DC Thompson's titles? Mm -hmm. uh, yes, the, 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 there was a, a definite difference in the, the, the whole uh, outlook of uh, these, these uh, publications. They were, uh, for instance, Judge Dredd, Judge Dredd initially... Uh, I found slightly off-putting in that he was just that bit too, um, how can I put it, uh, right in your face sort of thing. Not, not The word is not grotesque, it's more a uh, tremendous feeling of aggression, which in a way I found, having been brought up in, in, in the children's comics of the of the 60s, 50s, 60s, 70s, I found just a wee bit off-putting. Off and I thought to myself, is this is this the sort of image we want our children to, to see and read? Uh, so I, in fact, I actually refused to do uh, an episode of Judge Dredd initially, right. purely and simply because I had this strange, uncomfortable feeling about the, the the aggression, the aggressive side of things that uh, was being portrayed, uh, but I, I I've since then, uh, I, how can I put it? Not I not conquered. Not, that's not the proper term. Let's say I've just got used to Judge Dredd, to the extent that in all probability now he's my favourite character, and uh, I know that he's not the character that. Carlos and John initially thought about, I've maybe smoothed off some of the edges. 
but I hope I've managed to maintain the aggressive side of the character. But uh, it's my, he's my version, shall I say. Yeah, and that's interesting because a lot of artists will, will take a different interpretation of, of Judge Dredd and have done over the years. And uh, I can see it in your more recent work. Uh, you've been doing a lot of sketches and, and, and drawings and paintings and, and famously you did a, a wraparound cover for the 2015 uh, Christmas special. Uh, so how did you enjoy that, coming to the character, you know, with, with, with a fresh perspective? I, I really did enjoy doing that one. Uh, uh, again, uh, the character, of course, uh, I'd really grown into into Judge Dredd by that time. Uh, I had, if, if anything, I had great sympathy with him. Uh, and, of course, Mega City was a wee bit like... Um, reverting to my spaceships, etc., in, uh, in Dandir, in that I just decided, well, these buildings, they can be any old shape, any old, as long as, they're, as, long as they don't look as so though they're going to fall down. Um, any shape and colour, why not? Uh, so uh, the, the, the panorama of Mega City in that picture, I really did enjoy doing. Yeah, I think it went down really well with the readers as well. And I know you've got some prints of that that you take to, yes. to comic conventions. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't mind talking a little bit about comic conventions because um, you came to uh, comic conventions quite late in your career. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember going down with you to Birmingham, uh, which was one of the first ones that you actually had ever done. Yes, yes. Yes, um, uh, initially, to be quite honest, having worked in my own little sort of nook, uh, uh, all these years, uh, I found that uh, breaking out into the community, shall we say, a wee bit of daunting, in that um, looking way back, I've, I was always a wee bit of a loner, uh, in that um, uh, as a boy, uh, there was nothing I loved better than to get on my bike, on my own, and cycle away out into the countryside. Something I'm afraid... Uh, it's a wee bit dangerous nowadays because of the traffic, but it wasn't that wasn't uh, in existence at that time, so I was able to, to make off on my own. With the result, working on my own all these years was of no 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 worries, no problem at all. I didn't didn't really miss company, but having said that, uh, I was prevailed upon by a certain gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, in in uh, Duncan of Jordan's College of Art, who prevailed upon me to, to uh, how can I put it, make myself available. Uh, I think that's the best way to do put it. Um, and just come down, for instance, to, to the college and speak with the students, which I did initially with the commando crew. Yeah. Because... Uh, uh, the interest at that time was in the comic module, yeah. uh, and uh, we we were, uh, how can I put it, very privileged to be able to uh, impart some knowledge to uh, of our of our ways of doing things uh, to the students, who of course were, uh, <coughs> excuse me, getting into uh, computer graphics, etc. Uh, to the extent that uh, Callum, 
uh, Laird, the editor at the time, turned to me and he said, Ian, you know, he said, I think we learned a lot more from the students than they learned from me. And uh, to a certain extent, I think he was right in that I, I, become, I became aware very much of computer graphics, etc. And became aware that eventually they were going to take over from us, uh, 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 how can I put it, pen and ink and brush fellas. It's all going to be done button-wise eventually. But having said that, I was so impressed with the talent of these students in that their, their artwork I considered to be uh, quite exceptional. Uh, it was just a pity then they then downloaded it into a computer because their, their sketches, their initial sketches were quite impressive. And uh, uh, how can I put it? A credit to the to the college. And actually, one of our other guests that we've had into to the college uh, is Cam Kennedy. So, do yes. you want to talk a little bit about how you met up with Cam after all these years, and uh, and yes. how you get on with them now? Uh, Cam, Cam and I, <coughs> excuse me. Cam and I met for the first time just about seven years ago. And when you consider that we'd both been in the business for so long and having worked uh, once or twice on exactly the same publication and the same edition of this, that publication, i.e. Commando, it's uh, difficult to realise. But it was uh, purely down to the fact that Calm and I were both presented uh, with uh, lifetime achievement uh, honour uh, by the by the college and that's where we met and since then I personally I think Cam feels the same we have built up a very an extremely close relationship uh, uh, maybe it's because we're both Kennedys I don't know uh, but we're both very much on the same wavelength and uh, being with Cam, as far as I'm concerned, is a delight. And I hope he feels the same way. Yeah, so when Cam comes down to Dundee now, he always comes and pays you a visit, doesn't mm. he? <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes. Uh, it's, uh, as I say, uh, it's always a delight to be with Cam. And uh, uh, he lives up in Orkney, and we have a standing invitation to go up any old time. Uh, to see uh, Isabel, his wife, and him, his good self. Uh, so I look forward to doing that sometime or other. So you have been doing quite a bit of travelling about, actually, with the, the comic convention scene. So do you want to talk about some of the places you've been to recently yeah. and some of the places that you're going to be going to in the future as well? Yes, uh, going on about the, the conventions, <coughs> uh, as I said initially, my... My feeling was that uh, ooh, uh, this publicity business uh, I found quite difficult to, to handle, uh, having, as I say, worked on my own for so long. My initial reaction was anything but positive. Uh, but anyway, I, having realised that I was being invited to come along, the folks who were inviting me, 
obviously had a reason to invite me uh, and it was it wasn't all that long before I realized that I was in the position of having had a very uh, rewarding happy life doing working in comics illustrations etc etc and that perhaps as uh, the time had come that I should put something back in so as far as I the way I put it anyway at the time was that it was payback time and if I could go to the conventions uh, and meet up with the public and those who wished to come and have a chat and ask questions and all the rest if I could uh, satisfy their their uh, uh, inquiries etc uh, then that, that's that's it's a bonus mm -hmm. it's something that I, if I'd been told 10 years ago would be happening uh, I don't I just wouldn't have believed it but uh, it is at this stage in life I consider a marvelous bonus and to a degree an honor that uh, I should be asked to to take part in these these conventions and that's also led to quite a lot of commissioned work and you've also done quite a lot of original art and prints that you now take to conventions as well yes yes uh, it's always uh, uh, quite often uh, expenses are paid but uh, more often than not one is paying one's own way which uh, let's let's be honest i'm not i don't grumble not at all um so what we do is we do little sketches of Judge Dredd or, or Dan Dare or whatever uh, and uh, happily some of the some of the fans uh, are more than pleased to buy them uh, which if they if they help to defray the costs that's all one wants but every now and again there's a nice wee profit to be made as well but um, generally speaking it's a case of just uh, if one breaks even that's more than enough because um, the fun one can't put the value on real value on the fun and uh, 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 how can I put it pleasure uh, out of meeting these people and being part of of the convert of the conference yeah and um, some of the the commissions you've done in recent years have, have been you know, I have to say some of the, the best work I think of, of your career actually I mean I think the, 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 the private commissions that people come to sometimes with quite obscure mm -hmm. requests I think are a very high standard so do you enjoy doing these commissions? Yes I do very much uh, in fact there are times when um, uh, I suppose it's because it's no longer being done for uh, reproduction so there are certain uh, parts of the techniques can be ignored in that uh, you know that it doesn't one doesn't have to uh, worry about is that is that little detail going to reproduce exactly the way one wants it to be reproduced it's no longer that is no longer the case because when one does a private commission for a, for a client um, he or she has said particularly what they want and um, I take it from there and thanks be uh, 
all the customers seem to be fairly satisfied. Uh, it's a, a, how can I put it, it's a much more fluid existence in that uh, I don't have to worry about dates for a start. Uh, uh, it's just a case of uh, working away uh, and I can hang back for a wee bit on something. If I'm not absolutely sure, I can hold back for a, well, leave it till tomorrow, shall we say, if I think I've got myself a problem. I'll leave it till tomorrow because sometimes you're waking up the next day and find there wasn't a problem, you'd already solved it, but you were maybe too tired to notice. So that um, uh, it's a it's a rather wonderful existence in that uh, people want me to draw and paint for them, and uh, the very variation in the subject matter is uh, uh, quite something else. Uh, sometimes I'm taken aback, but then on the other hand, you just say, "Well, wait a minute, it's probably uh, a somewhat strange request, but." Nine times out of ten, no matter how strange the request, it will probably consist of all the ingredients that one has tackled over the years. It's just getting the, the right recipe, shall we say? A bit like a bit like the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> and but you are still working. You're semi-retired back in. Um early 2000s was it? Uh, I don't think I ever officially <laughs> retired. <laughs> no. So you're still working for Commando? You're still yes, Commando, Commando I still do probably a, a cover every four or five weeks for yeah. them uh, which is which is fine because um, it means that uh, most times I'm drawing aeroplanes, painting aeroplanes yeah. and uh, as, uh, as uh, probably most followers of Commando have noticed that I delight in the juxtaposition of aircraft uh, in dogfights, etc., playing around with angles and shapes and and uh, light and shade. Uh, that's probably me at my happiest, uh, to the extent uh, it's, it ha I have caused puzzlement sometimes in the commando office just as to which way up the, the picture should be because of all the angles. Uh, in fact, Perhaps I should put a, an arrow saying this way up <laughs> to make absolutely sure they've got it right. <laughs> so um, bringing us right up to date, so what's kind of on the drawing board at the moment and what have you got planned next? Well, we've just we've just uh, finished a, a big commission. Uh, I can't say too much about it because it's still, still on the secret list, shall we say, but it's probably the biggest one I've taken on in my whole life. Uh, aeroplanes again, so I've enjoyed every moment of them. Uh, but um, what have we got planned? Gosh, we've got one or two things. Uh, there's a, is it uh, now the car, the various characters? Um, let me think. There's a Dan Deer. Um, what else? Oh, there's one. There's one uh, request. Uh, uh, of uh, by a chap of his mum and dad in an MG40 in front of RAF Clavely or Clavely um, uh, around about the end of the Second World War because she was in the Land Army and he was in the RAF 
and they're both sitting or perched somewhere or other on this MG40. So that's uh, amongst the, the sort, that's the type of request that I'm, I'm getting. And uh, uh, as you can imagine, it uh, is quite stimulating. So where can we expect to see you next convention-wise? What's coming up? Well, I'm due in a fortnight's time, at the, at the, the June the 30th, in Glasgow. And uh, uh, right out of the blue, uh, Paul Trimble, who runs around in a skill in one just a week or two back, uh, had been asked if he would do yet another on the 8th of September. And he has invited me to come along to that. So that looks like being the next one. And then the thought bubble, of course. Uh, no year without the thought bubble in Leeds, uh, which actually uh, I shall be celebrating my, my let me think now, 86th birthday uh, at the table in, in the thought bubble this year. And then a first visit to the Lakes International in October. Great stuff. Well, thanks very much for your time, Ian. It's been great to talk to you, uh, as ever. And I uh, look forward to uh, seeing you at even more conventions and all your other commissions uh, over the next few years. Thanks very much. Thank you, Phil. Initially, uh, I, sound, I was a wee bit uh, taken aback uh, with all this sound business and all the rest. Uh, never been one for having too much to say for, about myself, but it has been a pleasure and I hope things, I hope it works out.